the 2016 World Junior Hockey Championship coverage on the Sports Podcasting Network. And welcome to the Five Rings Podcast Special World Junior Hockey Championship Preview Edition. Kevin Laramie joins me in Montreal. I'm in Toronto. Last year's host cities. They're not this year's host cities, though. It's in Finland. Kevin, um, how are you doing today? I am doing great at getting ready and set up for the holidays. And that means getting ready for the World Junior Championship, a holiday tradition, Boxing Day tradition. And now when it's in Europe, it's back to the morning coffee, the breakfast, the brunch and uh, some junior hockey. Yeah, breakfast with instead of breakfast at Wimbledon, it's breakfast from some frozen wasteland in Finland. But um, alas, uh, it's Helsinki this year. Actually, it's not a frozen wasteland. It's it's in the capital. And that that continues the trend of um, of the World Juniors going to larger and larger centers. Although that said, I uh, as we tape this, I think you have the same thing on. We have a, a pre tournament game, as they call them, rather than exhibition games on TV. And um, looks like the attendance is. You know, Mike, Brad, Dave, and Sarah. Like, there's not a lot of people in the stands for this pre-tournament game. To be fair, there's some people, but they're on the other side than the yard camera, so you don't see it. They're, like, yeah. not on the actual right side, so there's, like, 20, 30 people. And there's two gentlemen at one end just looking at the game. That's it. <laughs> yeah, it's in, in an arena that I think would be – yeah, it's a decent arena. It would probably be yeah. OHL size maybe. It's not quite like the NHL rinks that they're playing them in nowadays in North America though. It's maybe like a Sarnia type of size, like eight 9,000. Yeah, it looks like a nice little rink. Yeah. Anyway, it, uh, it's Canada, Sweden. Canada is winning that game 6-3. For what it's worth right now. Um, we're going to break this uh, this podcast down. We're, normally we'd take a break here on most of our shows, but we're kind of going to just jump into it. Kevin and I thought we'd share a bit of our memories of World Junior Past uh, to start and uh, just talk about what the tournament means to us. For those that have listened to us for a long time, these are things that we've sort of said before, so we're not going to belabor them. Um, you can go back in our archives if you want more detailed conversations, but we thought it'd be worthwhile revisiting uh, now a little bit to get you in the mood for this tournament and talk a little bit about what our memories are of last year when the tournament was in our own cities. Uh, then we're going to jump in and sort of go briefly broad stroke preview of each of the teams. We're not going to get into great detail here because, uh, frankly, the World Junior Championships, one of, one of the things that I think makes it special, Kevin, is that you discover. You discover players. Yeah. You discover teams as you go along. And, um, you know, there, there's a lot of these guys that are playing junior hockey in places that, that aren't seen a lot. So we would really be speculating overly if we were trying to get in too much detail about them, but we have some broad stroke stuff that we'll highlight about these teams. And then uh, we'll take a brief break, come back and sort of get into the nuts and bolts of how this tournament works in terms of how we're going to work. Kevin, uh, we're not going to do uh, daily podcasts through the group stage. It's just too much. It's too much with the other shows we do. It's too much with the holidays and it's, it's just too much media on this for those that are interested in it. But we will jump back in and have a greater conversation about some of the, the metal round games, Games, uh, particularly uh, involving the countries that we follow, and uh, we'll do it up well that way. But uh, without any further ado, Kevin, you know, I think you talked about an interesting thing off the top. One of my greatest memories of it, and then I'll let you jump in after that, is just simply that idea of, of sitting around with my dad and my grandfather uh, in the living room, sort of after the afterglow of Christmas had worn off, and there was always this hockey game on. They used to actually play on Christmas Day itself, too. It wasn't always just Boxing Day when it started. And I remember just 
oh, they, you know, before we're waiting for dinner, because usually we had our dinner around three o'clock, inevitably there'd be a game around 11 or 10 in the morning after, like I said, the afterglow was over. And it's just like kind of a warm, glowy feeling that you sat there with like grandpa and dad and, and watched hockey. And that's kind of, I think, one of the things that really drove this popularity forward is that sort of family holiday, holiday appeal of it. And they're kids too and that makes it that like we're watching right and i think that that makes a big difference for for the adults to grab a hold of it because it's a little easier sometimes to to cheer for the purity of youth yeah. uh, in these events and uh it just kind of felt nice that way uh, what i really liked it's uh, if you go back to the late 80s maybe early 90s up until maybe 91 uh, the, the souvenirs and the memories i have is myself in my toy room with my brand new toys that i received two days earlier Early in the morning, like 7, 8, when you're the only one awake in the entire room, the entire house, and you're watching hockey in your living room or in your toy room, playing your little hockey stig game or maybe a table hockey, and you're watching on TSN back then in the middle of nowhere some uh, weird hockey games that nobody's hitting each other. It's on a big ice and there's like weird ads on the shirts and it just is weird and it looks very different and it actually captivates your attention when you're a kid, when I was. And that's the souvenirs I have. Eventually, you, when you become older and you watch it for a different reason and you see players like Sidney Crosby, Jordan Eberle, Marc-Andre Fleury, who was a bust, but still that game is remembered forever. Who can forget those yellow pads in the gold medal game? But yeah, it's all those little... Uh, souvenirs and memories from that tournament actually makes it very special. Yeah, it might have lost something now that they are. Uh, it's bigger and bigger cities, and it's a basically a huge Canadian tournament across the board. Because if you look at uh, games, even from Helsinki right now, uh, the sponsors is SO, TSN, Tim Hortons, <laughs> but it's still a very very interesting tournament. Yeah, for those that don't know the history of this tournament, it's. It's the U-20 World Championships is what it is, although it is more commonly known as the World Junior Hockey Championship. Um, it has been unofficially going since 1974 where they had three tournaments in 74, 75, and 76 that were not sanctioned by um, by the IW, IWHF. But uh, in 1977, starting then, they had a World Under-20 title championship game. It has gone every year since. Uh, it wasn't really until about 1985 or so that it became really big in Canada. And 1985 was the year Canada won its second gold medal. They won a gold medal in 82, but it still was kind of hidden. It was it was in Minneapolis. Uh, I don't think there was any live coverage of it. If it was, it might have been tape delayed if there was any TV at all. Canada wasn't really expected to do much. They'd only medaled twice before in the first two editions of the tournament. They hadn't even medaled for three straight years. Um, it was the first time Canada also had sent – other than sorry in 1977 Canada sent an all-star team but or sorry 1978 Canada sent an all-star team that's famously when Gretzky played in that tournament but other than that they had simply sent the um, Memorial Cup champions a club team to represent Canada in this tournament so 1982 was the first year that they sent an all-star team of CHL players and they had the cooperation of the all the Canadian Hockey League they won the gold medal and it surprised everyone and that sort of tweaked the attention and TSN got into it and then in 1985 they played it up huge and Canada won that tournament. And I do have vague memories of 85, but 88, the, second, the third gold medal is the one that I truly remember. And then the winning started, Kevin. And that's when a lot of people came in. Between 1990 and 1997, Canada won seven of those eight tournaments. <laughs> yeah, 
it was uh, basically a domination, and we saw a domination recently when Canada won five in a row with the likes of the Eberlays that I talked about earlier. And it's players that we still remember to this day, not for their pro career, but for their accomplishment in that tournament. And it's something, too, that creates almost national heroes in for, well, for Canada teams and in the, in the U.S., too. If you have a great tournament, you almost, like, ask uh, Max Domi. He creates a reputation for yourself as a player in that tournament that follows you in your pro career. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, even like guys like Justin Pogge. We all remember yeah. Justin Pogge. Ever he's kind of a punchline here in Toronto now because yeah. he he was a flop within the National Hockey League, and in Toronto famously traded to Rask, who is a standout goalkeeper in the National Hockey League for him. Uh, think well, they didn't. They trade him for Rycroft and Rycroft anyway. Long story short, not an NHL podcast, but uh, those that are listening probably know this. They essentially favored Pogge over Rask, and well, they were wrong. However, he stood in his head and won a gold medal, so he will always have that. There's uh, John Slaney is a name that people might remember from way back when he scored the winning goal, I believe, in the '88 tournament. It might have been the 1990 tournament as well. I'm not sure exactly which one kind of blends. It was a while ago now, right? But, uh, you know, when I look at this, in 1989, the Soviet Union won the gold medal. That was the last gold medal by the Soviet Union. They, of course, broke up in 1991, won as the. Uh, CIS, the uh, independent states, uh, with the combination, which was that weird little thing that happened in 1992. They won that year, but that was kind of the unique situation. And then the Canadian streak of five started. It sort of signified at the end of an era, right, in a lot of ways, that run of five Canadian gold medals because it was the end of the Soviet slash Russian dominance of hockey. That was when Canada kind of took over, and I think a lot of Canadians hold that really to heart because – it was like this was our sport and we lost it for many years and we really did. The Soviet Union was better yeah. other than in those best and best tournaments, the Canada Cups, which were kind of rigged when we look back at them because they were on Canadian ice and NHL referees and the whole nine yards. Uh, it was pretty much the Soviet Union's game. But then starting with these junior championships, that's when Canada reasserted itself as as the top nation in hockey. And, and now I don't think there's much doubt about it when you look at the last two Olympics and and the run of success they've had in the World Juniors, they all had another run of five consecutive gold medals starting in 2005 that ended in 2009. Yeah, no, now, and uh, what surprised me, Dwayne, is when I was younger, Canada was never really good on the international scene. The World Juniors were the only place where Canada was actually dominating, and it was like the, the, the gateway for uh, the professional level, and like you say, the best on best tournament that eventually started, uh, like the, uh, the 2004 World Cup, and then uh, the Olympics before and after that. Uh, but yeah, for me, it's where I really started to see Canada winning on the international side was the World Juniors. Yeah, and uh, when they have, indeed... This is the, uh, the the breakdown of gold medals. We have 16 gold medals for Canada, eight silver medals, and five bronze medals over the years. And that puts them ahead of Russia, the total Russia-Soviet Union CIS total in terms of golds. Uh, not quite silvers and bronze yet, Canada. That's the next thing they have to chase, Kevin. They have 29 total medals in this tournament, whereas the Russian-slash-Soviet Union-slash-weird thing they did for one year have 33. So there's only uh, one more thing to to. to rain in i think it's only a matter of time until until they catch them there um, oh yeah for sure yeah what in terms of like do you have any before we move on to the nuts and bolts of this particular tournament that's let's talk a little bit about last year's tournament and your memory of it it was of course in toronto and montreal um 
I what I remember most about it was the games that I saw, and I saw some a couple big games, and I saw a lesser game as well, and it was just nice to see the action up close and, and something you've seen your whole life, and, and when you see it in person, you get to understand that it is a high quality to watch, and it is exciting to watch, and it's exciting to be around. I was in a Canada crowd; it was a pre-tournament game, but um, but nonetheless, it was a Canada crowd, and it was nice to see that. So. Just being part of it in that small way was uh, was really nice for me uh, here in Toronto. And next year we'll have a chance to do that again if I win the lottery between now and then. Um, and the year after that, probably more likely when it's in Buffalo because it'll be cheaper there. But uh, Kevin, do you have any memories from the tournament in your own backyard last year? The memories I have is in Montreal, it was a mixed reaction for uh, the crowd support for the tournament. The fact that it was uh, not necessarily relevant games for Canada, it was easy group stage when it was in Montreal. And uh, then uh, some of the later games were not necessarily attended according to the level of play that was on the ice. So uh, Bell Center was not filled. And it was this uh, like a weird atmosphere too to have a like a neutral crowd for a game and it's not necessarily something that the Montreal public was used to. So uh, next year in 2017 with the final in Montreal, I think the crowd's going to feel more involved in the tournament than just like splitting the duties with Toronto. Yeah, it's a weird, it was always a weird choice to split them. I don't know why they just didn't do one in Montreal and yeah. one in Toronto. That would have made a lot more sense. And, and fans that have the money to be doing the travel to both could have traveled to both anyway. And then and they could have went to Buffalo. You make it like a two week vacation out of it where you either travel to Toronto to Montreal. Now it's weird with like the, some games here, some games there. It's, it's like weird to have a split between cities like this. Yeah. And I think about like next year here in Toronto, like it doesn't, it seemed more like Toronto was hosting it last year because we knew the final was here. So we got to see the whole tournament from start to finish. Now, we didn't have Canada in the group stage, but whatever. We'd watch the Canada games on TV and then go watch Russia play Sweden, you know, in the group game. And it was good. It was good hockey to watch. And you felt more engaged in the tournament because you knew that Canada was going to be showing up here eventually, right? Yeah. Whereas next year, they're going to have Canada at the start and then it's just gone. The tournament's just gone without any payoff at the end. That's the other thing I'd say, and we'll leave it at this, is that if you're going to have them, and you can't change it now, but if this happens in the future, if you're going to split it between two cities like this, at least split the medal round games up a little bit so that you're truly splitting it. So maybe Canada plays one group game in Toronto and two group games in Montreal and or whatever the numbers break down, and then yeah. you know the quarterfinals in, in Toronto and the finals, in C- so that there's it's not quite as cut and dry between you know one city gets the the great big games and the other city just sort of gets the leftovers. That's what exactly what I felt. I was going to say the, the the second city gets the scraps, the table scraps. Yeah, and will be interesting to see next year, but. Uh, Certainly, uh, I, I'm looking forward to, the, to this year's tournament a little bit more. I always enjoy the ones over in Europe, both of the time difference thing. I, I kind of like to have the games over with during the day, something for me to do during the day, during the holidays, as I've said before on a personal level. But I also think that it uh, is a greater level of challenge for the uh, for the players. If you want to think about it that way as a development Trying tournament, them, yeah. which we kind of have to. And Canada's, you know, if we look at Canada's Olympic history, other than uh, you know, in Russia, they'd really struggled on the big ice at times. It's it's kind of good to have that sort of preparation to have to win in quote unquote a foreign environment. Although I guarantee you that there will be a lot of Canadian fans that have made the trip to Finland. That uh, you know, backpackers that are there, rowdy and painting their their backpacks red and white for the week. But uh, it should be a good time there, Kevin. Um, any final thoughts before we move into the actual tournament itself? A little bit, sort of go through the teams. A little bit. I agree with you with the development part and as well the the travel going to a country that is unknown, unknown, a language, culture, and immerse yourself in the holidays. And sometimes uh, the player that it's their first time in that team 
some of them it's their first holiday away from family so it's a learning experience and it's almost a coming of age experience for a uh, the young uh, hockey players in our in North America that that well across the world it's that tournament is almost like a coming of age once you have done that tournament you're actually a better a person a better hockey player and a better man yeah i would think that uh, the player from a player perspective that a lot of them would have better memories of the european trips because they're away from home they were there as a team and all that and i'm sure on the, on the same token that you know, a team like Denmark and all that, that they probably will always remember playing at the yeah. ACC in Toronto. Yeah. It'd, be, it'd be like a soccer team from here going over to play at Wembley, right? Like it's a big deal for them. And that's, I guess, part of the reason why they have it here a lot too for the rest of the world's benefit. Um, all right, let's go through the teams a little bit here. There are two groups, Kevin, and we'll go through this a little more detail at the end when we give our predictions and sort of some of the highlight games to watch for. Uh, but Group A, Canada's group is uh, Canada, Switzerland, the U.S., Sweden, and Denmark. Group B is the Czech Republic, Belarus, Finland, Slovakia, and Russia. Um, just going through the teams a little bit here. Canada Canada only has four returning players from the gold medal team last year. That's pretty common with the Canadian team. Uh, they tend to turn it over a lot, uh, particularly in a year like this where they're hosting it next year and they're looking to bring in some younger players, uh, so some draft-eligible players that sort of players that are a year away from their draft year so that they will have that opportunity to have them back again next year so that when they're coming into to Russia or to tr- Montreal, Toronto for the second time, they'll have a eight returnees and that will make them the far and away favor in the tournament. So you're going to see a younger Canadian team, um, you know, Braden Point, guys like that, Lawson Cruz, uh, uh, Mitch, you know, the, these are guys that, uh, that were around last year along with Dylan Strom and Mitch Strom. Mariner. I was going to mention which Strom, the, which is a, was a mainstay from uh, the winning team last year. Yeah, and Mitch Mariner is a new guy into the thing, at least first round pick from last year. So a lot of excitement in Toronto about that. But uh, these are it's a good team again. Like, I mean, you can't go beyond Canada whenever you're talking about gold medal teams. Uh, what's their weakness? I think goaltending has been a bit questioned. Uh, I've watched uh, the couple of their pre-tournament games so far. Uh, the Sweden game was, you know, there were some weak goals let in there too. So yeah, that'll well, be seven something to, to watch six for. now in the end of the third period, and there was some weak goal in the third period as well, led all by Canada. So, so yeah, that that might be something to watch for. Um, any thoughts on Canada before we sort of go down this list, Kevin? Just jump in whenever you feel like it. No, it's true. It's maybe the defensive uh, part of the game. Offense will always be one of Canada's strong point in the junior game. But a defense, and the, uh, especially the goaltending, has been questioned. But it's more as well the, the parity. The rest of the world is catching up at the junior level. When you have a team like Sweden and Switzerland is coming from a long way. And they're actually a lot more competitive now than they used to be. So and there's a lot of uh, a new wave of junior powerhouse coming. All right. To, to go through the rest of uh, Canada's group here, you've got the Swiss and the Danes kind of there to make up numbers to battle for that four spot. Switzerland uh, had a weak tournament last year. They ended up in the relegation round where they beat Germany to to send Germany down. Um, you were saying the Great Britain is coming back up next year. That's that's an interesting thing. I've never seen Great Britain in a, in a level A tournament before, so that'll be fun. That will be interesting. You remember some of the years we've seen Japan, Kazakhstan, uh, the, it, some of those countries have one generation that is good enough to get that team to the level of Group A or Division One or Two because there's many different divisions. There's Division Two B too, where Japan actually got relegated to Division Two B long time ago, where uh, they were in Nagano in Nagano time a couple of years before they were actually in Division in Group uh, A for like one year. So uh, there's a lot of weird teams that have weird teams in hockey term, not weird teams because they're weird, just because in hockey term Kazakhstan is not necessarily a known power 
house, but when you see them uh, actually make it sometimes, it's uh, very interesting. Yeah, Antropov, uh, the former Leafs player, I played in the, a couple different teams as well, was uh, was Kazakhstani. So, they, yeah, there's not a lot of tone there. Um, or maybe it was Ukrainian. I don't know. It's all blends. But uh, alas, uh, in terms of the Swiss and the Danes on the ice, Denmark has a player, like literally a player, that's like NHL caliber, um, Ellers, Jet Strap pick. Uh, yeah. Uh, they, brother. Yeah, they, they had quite a few. They were the darlings of last year's tournament only because they, they won their first ever game and they lost their mind at the ACC when they beat <laughs> Switzerland. And, and it was kind of fun that way. But by and large, this is a team that is well overmatched in this tournament and they're, they'll be lucky to survive. I mean, they're essentially looking over and saying, can we beat Belarus to stay in this thing? So that's, that's where Denmark is. The Swiss had a terrible tournament last year. They are much better. They're a team that has meddled in this a couple times when they have the right mix of players. They're going yeah. to play a defensive style. They're going to have some solid goaltending. They have a lot of experience in terms of their their players. They've been putting them in the Swiss League. One of the things the Swiss League uh, did a few years ago is that they they drastically reduced the amount of imports that could play in that league. They put a domestic quota in for my soccer listeners out there. Go figure. It's working. And not just that, Dwayne. They've they've actually imported coaches as well, which actually really helped uh, the Swiss Professional League, which has a younger age average than an NHL uh, Professional League would have. Uh, So players like an Austin Matthews, American uh, standout, is playing in Zurich uh, in the Swiss League. Uh, But in that Swiss League, you have uh, great coaches from outside that are bringing new ideas, different tactical uh, way to play the game and it shows especially at that level when you have a uh, talent pool that is on the cusp of making it but if it's coached properly you can actually do good in that format uh, of a tournament yeah yeah exactly and I think that it's, it's interesting you have a lot of players that are playing against you know playing against adults all the time uh, that are on that Swiss side so they they won't be frightened of any uh, teams that they play but I think the question always with Switzerland is whether they can score enough uh, to compete with the top level teams and I think they I suspect that they should have enough to be to you know revenge the loss to Denmark but I'm not sure that they'll have enough to compete with Canada the US or Sweden um, moving on then to to the Swedes we're watching uh, today in this exhibition game they have some high-end offensive talent they have some crappy goaltending and they're very they're very swedish in the sense that you can't make head or tails of them in a lot of ways yeah look they if he ducks canada doesn't win um i they they are the enigma team i think in this tournament along with the russians russians are usually enigma in an international tournament they certainly in the third period of this exhibition game that we have on in the background have have you know, rose up, but they look like crap in the second period. Yeah, they so rose up is... a lot of penalties too. So they rose up because of the power play as well. So uh, that might be indicative of something. Well, the Canada's lack of discipline, which yeah, is always maybe, the yeah. in this tournament. There's 19 seconds left, and the Swiss are uh, the Swedes are actually on a power play down seven six in this game right now. So, so as we watch live, they they could tie it up. I'll let you know. Uh, they could win a medal, they could win gold, or they could bomb out and finish fourth. That is Sweden in a nutshell, Kevin. It is in every tournament, and I think it comes down again. I think the goaltending is the key. Nylander uh, legitimately is a, a like a, he's a Leafs guy, so yeah. people will accuse me of being Toronto-centric here, but he has the most points per game in the American Hockey League's history for a teenager. This is a legit, uh, a legit prospect that could be a top five talent in the National Hockey League, which is something the Toronto fans aren't very used to, but uh, a very exciting prospect. I watched him last year when I watched, uh, I, I saw Team Sweden play twice, 
And when I every time I stood there and watched Nylander the entire time, and he is he's a special talent. He's a guy that that sort of has an instinct to get to the right offensive places. Uh, he's a little bit undersized, which is why it's great that he's playing in the AHL right now because the AHL. It's going to toughen him up. That's a tough man. That's a man's man's league. So uh, good for him. And uh, I suspect that uh, he will drive Sweden as far as he can drive Sweden, right? No, exactly. All right. U.S. Austin Matthews is the name that you are going to have ingrained in your head as this (laughs) tournament goes on. Let's Uh, quickly tell his story a little bit because people are not necessarily aware of the path he chose. Because he's born like four days too late, he was not eligible for the draft this year, which... He just turned 18 like four days too late and he was not eligible for the draft. Instead of playing in uh, junior hockey for him this year, he wanted to play professional. And in the Swiss League, the Lions of Zurich made him a offer. He's actually a professional, he's doing great in that league. And for him, he's really happy about his pathway to becoming a professional, which next year is going to come to the league as a free agent and uh, people are going to fight over him. Yeah, well, he'll be in the draft. Oh, in the draft, sure, yeah, that's what I mean, in the draft. Yeah. Um, he's uh, as someone who's not very happy with the CHL right now for reasons that we belabored on this show before. I, I love what Austin Matthews has did. He's thumbing his nose at the, at the authorities by saying, I'm not going to go through the way you're, that you tell me to go through. You know, why should I be held back from, from pursuing my professional abilities by three or four days? That doesn't make any sense. That's arbitrary. Like drafts are ridiculous when you think about them. Like there, there's no other industry in the world that would allow people to rent. Like, can you imagine, you know, the pharmaceutical industry drafting Harvard grads? Like, no, I <laughs> think that, that's ridiculous, right? But we allow it in hockey yeah. and, and other pro sports just because it's just how things are done. But Matthews is sort of saying, no, I mean, it's fine. You can draft me, but I'm going to play pro this year and I'm not going to play junior hockey and make $50 a month. No, I'm not going to do that. A week, I guess they make not a lot <laughs> compared to what he's making. And, and it's an interesting pathway. And I know that when he went over, there was a lot of people within the Canadian hockey circles. He's an American, so that kind of rubs him the wrong way in the first place that we're saying uh, we're kind of hoping he'd fail over there, but he hasn't. And uh, he's he's going to be a very big topic of conversation with this internment and a very interesting topic. The U.S. overall is a very good team. Um, if you look at what the U.S. has done, they've gone with that sort of uh, – national team camp uh, you know embedded situation for years now where they've really stepped up their junior their junior game they used to be kind of non-factors in this tournament they yeah, would play like they battle for bronze or you like close to not on the podium usually they were like a the team that we're not considered winning but they were just like an outside chance and uh but as of late uh, over the last decade they have emerged as canada's top competitor within this certainly um it, uh, it has surpassed the Russian game as the biggest rivalry game of this tournament by far. I think there's people like even into their 20s now would probably not see Russia as a as a natural Canada rival anymore, that they, it would be all about the U.S. rivalry nowadays, especially for the players that are playing in a tournament like this. They would have grown up not even understanding that Russia was ever a rival, right? It, uh, <laughs> just what their dad talks about. Like, no, it's the U.S. is their rival. Yeah, the uh, the New Year's Eve classic that we are been accustomed to over the last couple of years, where Canada plays the states usually for a, a a very important relevance in a tournament. Yeah, it's Boxing Day this year. Yeah, um, I between Canada and the U.S. and I think that the winning this group is going that Boxing Day game's huge because and we'll talk about the bit. It this starts. The it's end. the game to start. Canada, U.S. Boom, starts with a bang. Yeah, I, I suspect TSN had something to do with that. It wants to great create some momentum for the tournament. 
Uh, because if it's the last few years, Canada has played like a Denmark to start the tournament, and it's been like seven one, eight one to start, and people kind of lose interest. And I think that maybe they might be seeing some things that we've been talking about, some fatigue creep into this tournament. So they've got to start it with something big, um, and they have this year. But it's it's a huge game because I do believe when you look at how this plays out, you look at the other side. You don't want to finish second. You don't want to get into a situation where you have to beat the top team in the other side to get to the gold medal game. You want to stay as your A1 side and have a second place team that you're trying to get past. So I, it's a key game, and I, I think that the winner of that game um, might win the tournament. <laughs> Boxing Day might be the whole tournament decided right there. I mean, obviously, so who be- wins the opening game for Group A probably is going to win the tournament. Yeah, that that be <laughs> might where I put this. Although the U.S. Uh, has sometimes flaked out, as has Canada in recent years. So uh, we'll see. All right. Uh, any other thoughts on the on Group uh, A uh, well, before speaking we... Speaking of the U.S., just coached by Ron Wilson. So that's another interesting aspect. Ron Wilson, known for a good development type of coach in the pro level. It'll be very interesting to see how he does uh, this year with that team to see if he can uh, propel them forward and get the gold for the Americans. All right. Group B uh, has an obvious uh, deadweight team <laughs> in the Belarus. Uh, Belarus is a small nation that uh, has made some noise. They famously, as who Tommy Sala didn't duck for in the Olympics, uh, thus giving Canada a clear pathway to the gold medal game when they had not been playing very well before that. If you want to go back to uh, – uh, to uh, Salt Lake City, but um, and it's a team doing as well that had some success with the Kostitsin brother uh, back of a couple of years ago, well, almost a decade now at the junior level. With those two brothers, made a great, uh, great strive in that tournament. Yeah, but as we saw earlier this uh, this event, they're there to make up numbers this time. They lost seven to one in a, in a pre tournament game yeah. to Canada. Um, they won the B group. That's they're essentially there to survive, and that's what I, I hate. The releg- there's, there's relegation in an age group tournament. It doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, I don't know how you do it. To allow well, teams to go up and down, try but. to like to try to eliminate those eight to one games, but it's clearly not necessarily working because yeah, the two groups are unbalanced, and it's made in a way to make sure that some teams have a shot of making out of the group that not necessarily you would think they would do. For example, if Belarus was in Group A, there's never no shot. But if they get into a role and have two good results, you never know they can come out of Group B. Okay, well, yeah, I I think that the way to get promotion relegations from the B group from like the the second tier would be to do it at the U18 level rather than at the U20 level itself. Yeah, but alas, for, for, the, yeah, for the generation that's coming up, yeah. Yeah, because, I, I mean, you have teams that peak and, like, let's look at the – I don't know what this Great Britain team is that, that qualified, but it's possible that they were all 19. So what the hell happens next year, <laughs> right? <laughs> They're all gone. So then what do you do? Anyway, um, Belarus is clearly the fifth seed in that that Slovakia is a weird team that kind of goes up and kind of goes down. They were up in the last cycle. Uh, by all accounts, they look pretty solid this time as well. But it's still Slovakia. It's still a small nation. Um, they again, they're like kind of a one in five team in any hockey tournament, like four out of five times that they, they are there in the relegation side. And then that one time they're in a metal round game. So it depends it's, if they have like one or two good players. I remember when Pavel Dimitra, what is his way they, uh, by the way, rest in peace, he died in a plane crash when a locomotive uh, Russian KHL team planes crashed. But uh, when he was in junior and, and the pro level as well, when it was that generation, when you have one or two good players that actually can uh, make that team better and usually propel them to the group A or at least not outside of relegation. It'll be interesting to see which of those teams Slovakia is now. Which of those uh, cycle is it? 
Yeah. And but I think those are your bottom two themes, which lead you to yeah. the Czechs, Finns, and Russians. Now, the Czechs have had a lot of down cycles recently, but this team is based largely on the team that went silver at the U18 uh, tournament a couple years ago. So a lot of people are predicting the Czech Republic as their dark horse pick yeah. in this tournament, uh, which sounds weird for me as a longtime international hockey observer to call the Czechs a dark horse anything, but they have been pretty bad for a while. Uh, it would be interesting to see them sweep back up. I actually agree when you look at it on paper, you look at the success they had there. I mean, Russia is going to be a tough, tough uh, team to get past, but Russia can flake out in the group stage a lot. They only have three returning players from from their silver. Uh, their defense is really suspect. Uh, they have one of the returners is, is, is on the defensive side of things, but the rest is still way up in the air. Very Russian hockey, eh? Like that they have some offensive yeah. talent, but they, they don't necessarily have the back line taken care of. Um you look at uh, Finland, the host team as well, and put that host factor in and, and the team concept that Finland usually plays. And you would have to see see it as like kind of a you know toss-up between those three teams for one, two, and three in the mm-hmm. group. And it's key because you finish third and suddenly, Oof. you know, you're, you're being seated against, um, you know, you're on the wrong side of a draw, like to get back through. At any rate, I'm, I don't know what to make of the Russians and we won't know what to make of the Russians until we see this group of players play. And anyone that tries to tell you otherwise is, you know, probably exaggerating their knowledge of Russian junior hockey players. Yeah. Uh, you, you have to be aware as well, Dwayne, that there's a lot of influx of money right now at the development level of hockey uh, heading into uh, a, a great time for Russia eventually. Did uh, the, the follow the, the follow through or maybe the fallout of Sochi has made for more money in the actual sport. So uh, we'll see if that has an effect, if Russia's hockey is actually bigger and better because I remember Putin a couple years ago was really down with the Russia hockey and invested a lot of money to make it go, uh, well, not necessarily catch the glory of the past, but make Russia hockey in a powerhouse again. Yeah, and we'll see. All right, um, I think on that note, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll break the tournament down a little bit in terms of what games to look forward to. We already mentioned one of them and uh, give our predictions for what we think one through four in each of the groups are and who we think the the final will be and the bronze medal game will be. Uh, Kevin, let's take a quick break. Against Barbashev, 3.9 seconds left. Wins the draw to the board. And welcome back. Uh, we'll keep this quick. Uh, we wanted to go through through some of the the key games of the tournament, and and starting on Boxing Day when it when it launches, I think that the the biggest game is clearly Canada the U.S. That day, as we said earlier, it might be a preview of the best two teams in the tournament. It could even be a final preview. Um, I think that uh, the loser of that could their confidence things going on with junior hockey players. So I, I wouldn't want to lose that game to start this tournament. And uh, certainly it is a bit, big challenge for both. So that's my game of the day for the 26th. If you want to see the full schedule, you can do so. You, you know how to find this stuff. It's on TSN. It's on the official page of the IWHF or double IHF. Pardon me. You can find it on Wikipedia. Lots of places to find this. Uh, we'll go through day by day and pick our game of the day for each day. So uh, Kevin, pick what your game of the day is for the 27th. Uh, uh, just to mention quickly, on the 26th, you have Czech Republic versus Russia. So for Group B, for the for the top seed of Group B, those two teams could be interesting. On the 27th, there's only two games. You have Belarus and Slovakia. Not that interesting. But in Group A, Denmark and Switzerland. Maybe for that third spot, if Sweden busts out. Maybe for a fourth spot, so you don't battle for relegation eventually. So Denmark, Switzerland on the 27th. 
All right, the game I'm going to highlight on the 28th is is the host Finns against Russia. Uh, so it's just it's to see both of where those are. It's a great measuring game uh, to understand the Russians a little bit. Uh, they've already at that point will play the Czechs as well, so, so we'll have a really good understanding of where the Russians are. Uh, the Finns would have opened against Belarus, not the biggest test for them, so that will be an interesting um, game on the 28th. The 29th, Kevin. 29, you have Canada versus Switzerland. We'll see what Switzerland is made of. Are they back to being a better team at the junior level with better coaching and development over the last few years? This year is like a team that represents that. So uh, Switzerland, Canada on the 29th at 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. All right. The 30th is a weird day on the schedule. There's a, <laughs> there's not a lot of great matchups on there on the 30th. So I will highlight the U.S. Switzerland uh, just simply because the U.S. is going to be an interesting story throughout this tournament. The Swiss, I think, defensively will be responsible enough to keep that as a tight game. But but otherwise, if you're going to take a day off of this tournament, I might suggest that it be the 30th. New Year's Eve, Kevin, anything jumping out yet at you on New Year's Eve? Canada, Sweden, a rematch of today's uh, pre-tournament game. Game that finished seven to six for Canada. Uh, Canada Sweden is going to be a very cheapy game like this one today. A lot of penalties, a good caliber of, of play on the ice. Very very interesting to see the Swedes that have a, either a great team or they bust out. So Sweden Canada on New Year's Eve. And that will wrap up the group stage games. Top four make the quarterfinals, which go all on January 2nd in a row at 2, 4, 6, and 8 o'clock. These are Eastern times that I'm giving out. Um, sorry, these are local times that I'm giving out. So I don't know what that converts to here, but probably in the daytime. You have five, a full, I think it's a five hours difference. Yeah, so you have a full day of hockey action there for you to, for you to watch. Semifinals go the 4th of January, and the bronze medal game goes the 5th. The final game is also the 5th of the same day, about uh, four hours later. All right, Kevin, rank one to four each of your groups, and then uh, just start with that. We'll, on group A, rank them one to four for me. Canada, Sweden, United States, Switzerland, and Denmark through in fifth position who's going to battle for relegation. All right. In my Canadian, uh, I have Canada winning the group as well over the U.S. in second, Sweden third, Switzerland fourth, Denmark, we agree, is fifth. All right, Kevin, your group B? B, I have uh, Czech Republic, Finland, Russia, Slovakia, and Belarus in this position fighting for a relegation as well. And I swear to God, we did not talk about these predictions beforehand. We agree absolutely one through five in group B. So that leads us to the group uh, stage games. Uh, we won't break it down bit by bit, but who do you have in your final? Uh, I have Canada uh, making in the final versus the uh, versus uh, United States. They'll okay. they'll have a rematch from the group stage from Boxing Day. I think the whole tournament is built for a United States Canada final. It is set up certainly that way. Although I think the Czech Republic has, well, has is a very intriguing team, and I have them uh, not only winning Group B, but also getting through to the final. So I have my two number one seeds going through. Just quickly to explain why the tournament is built that way is if you're in the same group, once you get out of the group, you go like on two separate brackets that you cannot face each other until you're in the final. So I think if Canada, uh, if it's 1-2 like you mentioned, if it's like your prediction, then the next matchup will be in the final. And that would be probably the best ratings for that tournament and the best money generating final. So it is in a way built for that final. 
All right. And uh, I do, for the record, think Canada will win this thing. Uh, they typically just grow in, in stature. You know, I'm a little bit uh, – I'm sure that the boys got yelled at a lot about this exhibition game and the oh, penalty yeah. trouble they took in the third period today. And, and and discipline is always an issue with this. You hear – oh, it drives me nuts every year. They complain about the referee. And the referees in Europe actually called the game as it's written in the yeah. rule book. God forbid. Um, that causes Canadians all sorts of consternation. But uh, they generally learn by the time it hits the group stage. You would think that the commentators would learn 40 years in, but they don't. Um, alas, there we go. Uh, do you think Canada is the favorite, Kevin? Uh, I do. I think uh, I think until you prove otherwise, Canada has to be the perennial favorite when it comes to junior hockey, just because of the difference of infrastructures that they do have at the junior hockey level, which makes it for a better national team program and at the end makes it for a better team that represents Canada in that tournament every year. All right. Uh, we'll probably be back with another one of these around New Year's Day, uh, maybe after this, either the third or the first. Uh, we'll we'll figure it out. If we can do the first, we'll do it. I don't know how how alert I'm going to be on the first, so <laughs> we'll see. But if not, uh, then we'll do it after the quarterfinals and preview the semifinals. But uh, until that time, uh, we'll you can follow the fifth or the fifth the Five Rings podcast Twitter feed. I will put my thoughts out there throughout the tournament here and there. I'm going to keep it off of my normal Twitter feed and, and keep it onto that one. Uh, Kevin could add his as well. Uh, we'll put our initials on there to make sure you know who's talking. And um, until that time, Kevin, say goodbye. Until that time, have a great tournament.